So I think I, I treat, you know, my team. So I have agents on my team. I treat my underwriters with respect. I treat my clients with respect, right? So there's a lot of people that are stressed out in this industry, right? Obviously, underwriters are extremely stressed out at this point in time with everything that's going on. And you treat those people like, like human, right? And if, when you do that and you build those relationships, it's a completely different conversation. Yeah, I totally agree. You see sometimes in the Facebook group, people are ranting about the lender and man, you don't understand, like you think you're busy, just take that and multiply it out with the underwriters have to deal with right now. And yeah, and you get more with, what does they say, more with sugar or then with vinegar or more, you know, I don't know, some phrase I can't remember right now, but basically just be nice with people. It's a better way to work together with them. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Jason Armstrong. He's a mortgage broker for six years, but was also running a successful accounting practice at the same time. We had a chat about 11 months ago, and he was trying to decide if he should you know, continue to do both or if he should go all in on the mortgage business. He decided after that conversation that he was going to sell his accounting practice, which he did, and it made a huge impact on not only his income, his income in his mortgage business went from 10 million to 25 million. So he did 10 million, he's kind of stuck there for multiple years. 25 million in the last seven months, his net income doubled, his stress level's gone down. So we talked a little bit about that, but we also talk about some of the changes that he's made to his mortgage business to allow him to be able to scale to that level and still have a good work-life balance and health. And so Jason is one of our clients from our $25 million blueprint program, and we've done some coaching with him and just love his energy, his level of focus, and the fact that, you know, he did it, man. And I know right now, some of you maybe a few of you anyways, hopefully not tons of you, are trying to do two things at the same time. And I would say to you that, you know, it's like trying to fly two planes. So if you've got your mortgage business and you're a realtor or your mortgage business and your insurance agent, and you might be okay at both of those, but I don't believe that you can be world-class at both of them at the same time. You know, unless you're Bo Jackson and you can, you know, play two professional sports, but most people aren't Bo Jackson. And so I would say you're better off to, you know, pick which plane you want to fly and then just go all in on it. Maybe it's mortgages, maybe it's not. I don't know. But either way, I think it's the way to go. Today on the Ask the Expert segment, I talked to Tom Hall from Blue Mortgage and we talk about digital advertising. So we dive into a little bit about this. I know that there's some agents anyway that do a lot of digital advertising that are tied into Tom's CRM and how they use it. And I want to give a huge shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. So Finmo is a smart application. It's a document collection and submission platform now that you can use. And, you know, I started a brokerage recently where we train new agents and it's called Islandy Mortgage Pros. And we basically help them find and fund their first 10 mortgages. And we're looking at technology. We had lots of options. And the cool thing is that we live in a time where there are options. And so I personally found that that was the easiest app to use. It was easiest for our agents to train on. And so that's why we ended up deciding to go down that path. We could have gone on any path. And it was the one that we just felt like we want to reduce friction to make it easy for the agents to learn. And we also want to make it a great experience for the client. And the feedback on the client end of using Finmo and the document collection has been fantastic. So you can go check that out. That's finmo.ca slash ILMB. That's finmo.ca slash ILMB to get a free trial on that. And thanks again for checking out this episode and being a listener of our show. I really appreciate you. I love that we get to do this. We see the download numbers continue to go up. And we've got some more cool stuff planned that we're going to bring to you guys. And I'm excited that I get to do this and uncover hopefully some gold nuggets from these conversations that you guys can use to help you in your mortgage business. Hey, Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Scott. Before we jump into your story and some of the big changes you've made in your business in the last 12 months, tell me a little bit about like, how did you get into the mortgage business? So I actually got into the mortgage business because I had an accounting practice and Six years ago, three clients came to me 
in the fall asking for their tax returns, which I thought was a little bit weird off tax season. They're asking me for these documents. So I simply asked them, what are you looking for this information for? And uh, one of the clients was getting screwed around by one of the banks that he was working with. And I just said, give me three weeks. I'll get my mortgage license. And three weeks later, he was my first client. Closed his mortgage a couple months after that. But that was really the demand I saw and an opportunity from my existing clients. So that was six years ago. So then how did that start to grow? At what point did that sort of match your accounting practice? Or did it ever match it? It never really matched it as far as money goes, but it was the time, right? So there was a lot more time that I was putting into my accounting practice compared to the mortgage business. So say they were equal money, I was putting 10 times the amount of time in the accounting practice than I was the mortgage business. And then, you know, after a conversation with you last year, I made the ultimate decision to get out of the accounting business. I sold my accounting practice and now focusing 100% of my time and energy on my mortgage business. Right. So let's talk about that for a sec. So we had a conversation. I think you sent me an email. So that prompted this whole thing. You're like, hey, man, I can't believe I, you know, you had some goals you set. I'll let you talk about that. But tell me about that conversation and then sort of what you were thinking and what direction you went after. Yeah. So I had obviously been thinking about, you know, what do I want to do moving forward, et cetera. But a lot of the people I was talking to, you know, were saying that client base, I had 500 personal tax clients and 125 corporate clients. That uh, client base was an opportunity to sell them mortgages. And I was, you know, being told I'd be a fool to sell that and not just, you know, attack that as far as a marketing campaign and go after those existing clients. So I just kept both. And the conversation with you, you asked me a couple of key questions. What am I doing? Where am I spending my time? And what do I want to be doing? Right. And where I was spending my time was the exact opposite of what I wanted to do. And you really just called it, you know, like a spade and you said, get rid of it sell it. So you were in the right place, obviously, but not everybody will actually go do that. So then how long did it take you to go from like, okay, yeah, this makes sense to actually pulling the trigger? Yeah. So our phone call was September 23rd. And the next day I made a phone call to a guy that I had already been in conversations with, but made the decision to pull the trigger and I sold it. And that transaction closed November 30th of last year. So like two months from start to finish from our conversation to closing that business down. And so then, okay, some people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you gave up a business that was making you six figures and that you had 500 past clients. What has that freed you up to do in your mortgage business? So what happened to your mortgage business by having that singular focus? It's balloons completely, right? So when I had both businesses, I was kind of stuck at that $10 million plateau, right? I couldn't really do more without spending the time and energy needed to grow that mortgage business. And I simply didn't have it. But by being able to focus... I was able to invest some time and energy into coaching. So I, I obviously took your $25 million blueprint program and invested in technology and different systems. And that has allowed me to grow significantly uh, more than what I would have been able to if I still had two businesses, right? So last week I reached out to you when I hit that $25 million goal for the year, just kind of to say thank you for Push me over the ledge, essentially. Well, here's the thing, dude, you did the work, you know, I'm excited for you. But ultimately, you had to pull the trigger, you had to make the decision, you had to keep showing up. So that's amazing. So you basically you more than doubled that. And you're still not even finished this year, we got five more months left or something this year. Where do you think you're going to end up this year based on sort of what your pipeline looks like? My new goal is 36. It really comes down to what I want, right? Like in this industry, it's how much volume do you want to do? I think I could turn on the top and get to 40, 50 million if I want to, but I think 36 is a comfortable figure that I think I'm going to continue to strive for. 
And then in terms of we compare the two businesses, because there's people out there right now that are sitting on, they've got this mortgages plus real estate, mortgages plus insurance, mortgages plus whatever. What has that done to your net? Like just out of curiosity, how has that affected your net by having that singular focus? Net income has probably doubled this year as a result of being able just to focus on one business solely, really pay attention to it, right? And put it into a more efficient plan. Whereas before, you know, when you have so many things going on at once, so whether we're accountants, realtors, insurance, et cetera, we're more reactive. When something comes up, we react to it, but we're not taking a proactive stance. And now that I have the time, I'm able to take that proactive stance and drum up business that I would have just been sitting back and waiting for. Now I'm not waiting for it. Now I'm going and getting it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So how does it affect your expenses not having the overhead of that other business? Because there's more expense in it, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So my payroll, like I said, used to be like 30 grand a month and that expense is dried up. I have one associate working with me rather than six people. And then all my expenses are really next to nothing. Like this industry is very, very You're an accountant. You know what different businesses look like from being an accountant for years. Yeah. Low barrier to entry. And the fees are very, very minimal, right? Like before I opened my door, I had 10 grand in expenses between insurance and licensing. Whereas here it's like three grand, right? right? And then payroll office space. You don't need an office in this industry. I have one, but you know, a lot of people don't need it. So you can keep your expenses down to a, a minimal amount. Right. Hey, so we're on video. We're just listening to this, but I see up in your corner, is that a rock climbing fingerboard? Yeah. Okay. So tell me about this. Are you a rock climber? I was. Yeah. I, okay. I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I used to, when I was younger too, I haven't been into it for years, but it's a great activity. It's like meditation, you know, when you get into the flow of it. Right. I found anyway. Yeah. I enjoy bouldering. Right. Which is like more of the strategy than like the muscle. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. So I don't know how we'll tie that into the podcast, but one of the things <laughs> that I learned, let's talk about this for a second. Cause it's just interesting. So when I was a climber, they used to say, when you have a problem, the solution's always in your feet. Did you ever heard something like that before? Or like, it's always in your footwork, right? Like where your feet are is going to set everything up. You don't have enough power in your hands. So yeah. how does that relate to your mortgage business? And does it? I don't know. Like, I've never thought of this. So I'm just throwing this at you randomly. How does that concept apply to a mortgage practice? So I think you can apply that by looking at somebody that gets on a wall. They typically think it's all upper body and hands and movements of the upper body, pulling yourself I think up. it's grip strength is the thing. Yeah, which is the complete opposite of what actual rock climbing is, right? And it is the strategy and more of the feet. So if you look around in this industry, so many people are using their hands to try and pull themselves up. If they really slowed down and took the time to focus on their feet, right, which is where the power comes from, which is where, you know, the foundation is, then they could actually be more successful. Right. And I would say, I'm just thinking this out, but the hands are like the technical part of the mortgages and the feet are like, I think the sales part of it, like the sales. And that is the thing that's going to drive your business. Like, yeah, and you need to understand the technical pieces. But at the end of the day, if you don't have, you know, lead generation and sales skills and how to convert, you know, conversations with people, you're going to fail no matter what, no matter how technically yeah. sound you are with the products. Okay. So a bit of a rabbit trail there from that. I just saw it's my ADD. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. Okay. So let's talk about quotes. So you know, I always love quotes because they're portable, memorable. So is there a quote that's really had an impact in your life or business? It's not really a quote, but it's just treat others how you want to be treated and always be kind, right? You never know what somebody else is going through in their life and treat that person with respect. So not really a quote, but more of a motto to live by. That's okay. It's a philosophy. So then how do you apply that? Can you think of an example where you've applied this idea of, 
you know, always be kind or treat people well to your business? Or yeah. So I think I, I treat, you know, my team. So I have agents on my team. I treat my underwriters with respect. I treat my clients with respect, right? So there's a lot of people that are stressed out in this industry, right? Obviously, underwriters are extremely stressed out at this point in time with everything that's going on. And you treat those people like, like human, right? And if, when you do that and you build those relationships, it's a completely different conversation. Yeah, I totally agree. You see sometimes in the Facebook group, people are ranting about the lender and man, you don't understand, like you think you're busy, just take that and multiply it out with the underwriters have to deal with right now. And yeah, and you get more with what they say more with sugar or than with vinegar or more, you know, I don't know, some phrase I can't remember right now. But basically, just be nice with people. It's a better way to work together with them. So what about failure? So can you share something? I always find that, you know, the entrepreneurs, business people, there's always failure, but always looking back, there's a lesson. So can you think of something that you failed at, but now you're looking back on, wait a second, you know, there was a lesson for me. One of my biggest failures in my accounting practice was I paid for a practice management software and I had the best intentions and I had everything laid out as far as, you know, a client journey or client experience went, but I never implemented it, right? Because I got the software, I downloaded it, got it all set up, everything looks great, but now I needed to actually do a little bit of programming and implement it. And I didn't know the software to the fullest extent, so I didn't do it, right? And it just sat there in the background. I continued to pay was for it the expensive? subscription. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Yeah. I just want to poke the pain a little bit, like because I've done this too. You get something like, oh my gosh, I feel so stupid. Okay, so what was the lesson in that? So going back to a book that you recommended, Who Not How, right? So I didn't need to be the person that implemented it, right? And I felt like I needed to be. I needed to learn the software, and I didn't have the time to learn the software. Whereas now I've implemented Jungle, you know, through your course as well, and. In implementing that, I've used Lisa Banks to do the programming in the back end. And I can come up with the ideas, but I don't need to do any of the implementation. Right. One of my agents today was like, How do I run this report? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I asked Lisa to run it for me and I get it sent to me. I don't right. need to know how to do everything. I just need yeah. to know who can do it. Right. That's such a freeing thing. Right. And it's expanding. There's something in overwhelm when you're like, How am I going to learn all this? Like, I don't have to know the how. I just got to figure out who already knows how to do it. And then I think, yeah, that's a Dan Sullivan book, which I highly recommend that you guys check out. It's very good. Okay, that's a great lesson. So then tell me about like, what's the biggest change you made your business? Okay, so focus is the first thing you already mentioned, but what other main changes have you made to your mortgage business in the last 12 months? Just investing in the business. So investing in your coaching from your coaching. I also did the uh, mindset coach with Kelsey Van Roon and then implementing Jungle, right? That was uh, a big thing. Right. Okay. And then well, where does your business come from now? So like if you were to look at the source of your business over this last year, how would you split it out? I'd say it's all referrals or past clients. Historically speaking, I went after financial advisors and after your coaching, I started going after realtors. So I'd probably say, I don't know, 60% is now realtor referrals and then 40% is financial advisors or past clients. Right. And are you able, because you had your practice from before, are you still able to market to those people? Was that something you baked into your agreement? Like, Yep. Yeah. So a lot of those clients were already existing clients and yeah, I send them drip campaigns and I'm trying to be in touch with them as much as possible. Right. So just because they're not an accounting client doesn't mean that they're not an opportunity on the mortgage side. Right. Actually, I got two more questions on that whole, that narrowing your focus thing. One is what did your clients think? That's the first question. And the second question I want to ask is, 
what would you say to somebody who's straddling both? Like, what would your advice be? Yeah, my clients all understood, right? So I was actually surprised. I was really nervous about disappointing somebody else, but they all understood that it was the best decision for me. And I set them up with somebody who's very similar to myself. So it was an easy transition and I was there, right? If they had any questions or needed anything, I still answered the phone and helped them through the transition. And then anybody in the same spot, I would just say like, what's your goal? Like, why are you doing both? And then dissect those reasons, right? Because, you know, just as you asked me, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And what do you want to be doing? Those three questions really, you know, opened my eyes to, I'm not doing what I want to do. So let's change it. Right. That's really good. Okay. And so what about somebody who's sitting on two things? Don't do it. Focus on one. So going back to why are you doing that other thing? So why are you a realtor, right? Some people will be like, well, it's easy because the transfer of clients from one to the other is great. Like, are you going to get a referral from another realtor? Like if I were a realtor, I wouldn't refer out to you. Right. And that's no disrespect to the people that own both licenses. Right. But, and, and are if you- I was listing my house, I'm like, you're only half in. I always think it's like, how can you be, you know, world-class, you know, you're probably going to be in the top you know, single digit percentages with your brokerage by the end of this year. And you couldn't do that if you were trying to do two things. I don't think. No, you can't be an expert. Yeah. You can't be the best you possibly can be by doing both. Yeah. Something has to give. So if you're listening to this and you're freaking out, just, you know, and it couldn't be either. Maybe it's not the mortgage business. Maybe you're like, Hey, I got to do this other thing and do that, but just pick something right. And stick. I think it's really good. What was your biggest kind of single takeaway from the coaching program that you did with us? I can't name just one. So client journey is obviously huge. Just identifying the steps of my process so that my clients have the exact same experience from start to finish, regardless. Client avatar. So being able to say no to clients, knowing exactly who my ideal client is and focusing just on those individuals. Mindset, time management, delegation. I do not have to have control and do everything myself. I can outsource to either my associate or to individuals like Lisa Banks to set stuff up for me in Jungle, and then confidence, right? So you went over the realtor pitch. I wasn't going after any realtors at all. Don't do the four slide presentation that you have, but I did start making some presentations to different real estate brokerages, some boutique brokerages, and the leads from that are phenomenal. Right. Well, you take the principles and you can apply. And plus, you've got an accounting background. Like I would definitely, if I had your skill set, and I always say it's you match your personality with your market opportunity on your skill set. And so I would be honing in on that. Do you do a lot of business for self mortgages or just out of curiosity or do you avoid them? Not a lot, to be honest. No? No. Because I mean, no, you know the tax stuff cold. So like my natural instinct would be like, oh, that would be a good market. But yeah, not a ton. Like the business for self, like a lot of the stated income, I have a moral dilemma with that right as a cpa like how do i know that they're not disclosing all their income on their taxes and still use right. that right i see and then those business for self individuals sometimes they're more of a b client which isn't my client avatar right right so i stay away from those i do some business for self but majority of it's you know that, that so, okay, well, on the thing on the avatar having the ideal client can you think of an example of where you've had to say no to somebody and how do you do that because you seem like a nice guy and you want to be kind, but then how do you say no to somebody and be kind? Like, just I'm curious, how do you navigate that? So I had two referrals come in two weeks ago that were both B clients. I had the initial call, talked to them about our process, et cetera. And both of them took two days to get the 
documents back to me. And those clients I could tell were B clients just based on their situation, based on the conversation. And because they weren't getting the docs back to me quick enough, I just passed it off to one of my agents who has taken them over. Talked to them this morning. Everything looks good with those files. They just weren't my ideal client. Also, you didn't, in that case, you didn't even have to say no. You could just be like, hey, I'm not the guy, but I got somebody for you. So you just... I just sent an introduction to my agent and said, hey, you know, it was really nice chatting with you. Quick heads up. I'm going to circle in one of my agents and he's going to help you out with the remainder of your file. Right. That's good. So they still get served, but you don't have to be the person to do it necessarily. All right. So I'm going to ask some rapid fire questions. You can answer these as shorter answers if you like. What's one thing people can't find out about you from Google? I once grew three inches in a single day. What? So, yeah, as, a, as, a, as a healthcare professional, you may appreciate this. My spine is fused from T3 to T12. So I had scoliosis in that surgery. I grew three inches in that one day. Wow. And now you can rock climb and stuff. So how tall are you? So pre-surgery, I was 5'9", or sorry, 5'11". After surgery, I was 6'2", and now I'm about 6'1". Wow, my son would be like, how do I get that? <laughs> He's like 5'10", like maybe 5'11", and he wants to get to 6 feet, but I'm not 6 feet. So I'm like, dude, you might be out of luck. But okay, that's crazy. Okay, what's a movie everybody should watch at least once? How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Why that movie? I think we can relate it to business, right? Like, at the end of the day, we're like Benny Boo. Right. I've seen the movie. Yeah. yeah. And I can't remember the details. So now I want to watch it again and see how it applies to the mortgage, how to lose a client in 10 days or how to lose a. Right. So Matthew McConaughey is a sales rep for a marketing agency selling diamonds, right. Or promoting these diamonds. And Annie is a columnist in a magazine writing an article on how to lose a guy in 10 days. So he is selling himself and she is trying to do everything she possibly can do to get away. Right. And I look at that as like somebody that's gone to RBC, has a pre-approval, comes to you. Doesn't matter what you try and sell them. They will always try to push you away and go back to RBC. But you continue, continue, continue working on them. And at the end of the day, they're going to fall in love with you and use you. Right. So you're Matthew McConaughey in the story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> of course. Of course. In yeah, more McConaughey. ways than one. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Okay. What's one software program or digital tool you can't run your business? You said Django. So well, I assume that's one of them. Is there anything else? Jungle is massive, but like even something like Calendly is huge, right? Before it was like back and forth with clients to schedule times and appointments and they want the evenings and weekends. And here's my calendar and I have nine you to have five. Unlimited choice within this narrow confines of my Calendly link. Exactly. Right. So it eliminated a lot of back and forth. And it eliminated evenings and weekends, not eliminated evenings and weekends. It reduced evenings and weekends. Yeah. So you could choose when you want it to. And then, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, actually. What's a book you recommend for our listeners? Think, Do, Say by Ron Titan. Huh. Okay. Well, give me the 30 second pitch on that book. I've never heard of it. Were you at the uh, MPC conference two years ago? Which, where Toronto? was it? Toronto? No, I think it was at Montreal three years ago, but I think I missed that one. He spoke there. So First National sponsored him and he was in doing a book signing. But a lot of it is, you know, us talking or thinking about things that we're going to do and then never follow through. Right. So we actually never follow through by doing them or by speaking about them. Right. An example he used was this company similar to Mech. So Mountain Equipment Co-op um, yeah. in Canada. So a company like that in the States closed their offices completely on Black Friday right? The number one biggest day in retail for the U.S. Close their offices so that their staff can be out enjoying the day, 
right? Right. And because that's what the leadership thought of the business. So that's what they actually did and spoke about it, right? Whereas most people would be like, yeah, we're a mountain equipment co-op and you know, we're all about the outdoors, but then it stops there. Right. So trust is a really, Plus they also don't have to provide the sales that everybody else does. So if it didn't fit their values of how they ran their business. Right. Yeah. And it provides trust to the clients. Right. So his book is a lot about trust, which is something that we have to deal with as well with our clients. You're selling your trust. And if you're not representing the person you are, the values that you withhold, if you say your values are one thing and then you're coming to the table with something completely different, it negates the trust. Right. If you're representing the individual that you actually are in your values, then you'll get that trust a lot quicker and easier. Right. That's good. Okay. What about elevator question? So you're in an elevator with your ideal client, your avatar named Alan. And so what would you say to Alan about what you do? Have you ever been in an elevator with an accountant? <laughs> Is that what you say? Or you're asking this question? No, that's, I'm asking you. Yeah, I don't probably. They don't usually talk a whole lot. <laughs> exactly. We enjoy awkward silence. So I see. We, Hilarious. We, we say nothing. No, like I really don't have a good elevator pitch, right? So I don't go after that client per se. Right. So I don't really have that elevator pitch. I go after the referral. Okay. So maybe do it this way. How would you describe your ideal client then? Maybe forget about the pitch, but like, you know, in your mind who you're looking for, describe for me your perfect client. So an individual that values and appreciates the service that we provide, right? An individual that is looking to build wealth through real estate and isn't looking for that rate shop, right? And wants to, you know, either buy a couple of investment properties and do that in a tax efficient manner and values my service and is not going to take the advice that I provide and then go run to somebody else. Right. That's good. Okay. DeLorean question. So I put you in the car for back to the future. You go back six years, I guess, and you can have a conversation with yourself. What would be the three pieces of advice you'd give yourself to have a, you know, a better, more successful mortgage business today? Commitment. So jump in full-time. Like it's difficult to be the expert in the industry if you're, if you're not doing this full-time investment. So treat mortgage brokering like a business, invest in being more efficient and more effective, and then have fun. Life's too short to stress. Right. That's really good. Awesome, man. Where can people find you online? www.armstrongcpa.ca. And are you going to maintain your CPA designation or how it happens if you're not practicing? I think I'm going to. I think it adds some validity and trust from the clients mm -hmm. that I'm working with. I do use it as a selling feature, especially when I'm talking to clients that are getting into investment properties and talking about tax strategy, et cetera. I think there's some value to it. Okay, cool, man. Well, hey, great to connect with you. And I'm glad that you're crushing it. I'm sure next year you'll go where you want to go, but it's exciting to see what you've done so far. Thank you, sir. Hey, Tom, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott, it's great to be here again. So if you guys are listening, this is Tom Hall. He's the founder of Blue Mortgage, which is a CRM that is very slick for mortgage brokers to help them maintain their process. And so on these Ask the Expert segments, I always ask Tom to come in and teach us something that will help mortgage brokers in our business. And so today, I think, Tom, your goal is to talk about digital advertising and some of the things that you've noticed in the interacting with the hundreds of people that are using your guys' platform. And so, yeah, tell me about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, digital advertising, it's not something we do directly, but we're very indirectly connected to it just because a lot of people are advertising. It's linked to their CRM process. It's and, coming, yeah, those leads are coming yeah. into your guys' systems. You're seeing the results of that advertising. It, so Yeah, you got it. Exactly. And I think, I mean, the first thing I always say to people is that, you know, 
I think digital advertising sometimes gets a bad rap, but you know, it does work. I mean, I think some of the big players out there prove that it can work, but the real kind of mindset shift that I think a lot of people have to have is that the process and what you do around these digital online leads is just completely, completely different than anything you do with a referral, whether it be, you know, a client referral, realtor referral, it's a, just a completely different game. And a kind of an interesting story around that is, you know, we work with a lot of different players in the space and we're talking to one guy who is actually a lead aggregator. And what he has done is he's worked with his clients and seen how they followed up. And in a lot, a lot of cases, these leads that people are getting, you know, it's often the interactions are just one email or one phone call or something like that. And it just does not get that type of response that a referral would get by just a single interaction right? It's just a completely different game. And so this lead aggregator that I'm referring to is working with people and seeing that, hey, there's really needs to be that mindset shift of the things you're doing here for referral is very different than what you're doing for these online type of leads that you might be going after. Right. Yeah, absolutely. One of my coaching clients, we coach on a referral-based business, but Mm -hmm. they were spending $20,000 a month on advertising. That probably wasn't that much for the size of a company, but they would do Facebook ads and they had a call center that would call the lead within two minutes. And two minutes. Wow. Two minutes. Okay. Yeah. Phone. This is in the US. <laughs> yeah. Two minutes. And he said that yeah. we still could only close one in 20. Like, yeah. so the guys who got this figured out, like, you know, the butlers and the Nestos and stuff, but it is definitely a, not a game for everybody. And that's just my take on it. But you're right. Like, you have to be aggressively yeah. following up with people. If you're yeah, you do, right? Space. I mean, and exactly that's a good point to bring home. It's not for everybody. Absolutely not. But if you are, but it does work if you know it. how to do it. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you have to have that mindset shift. And I think as a kind of a follow up, if you have kind of said, okay, I'm willing to do that mindset shift, I do want to get into that game. Again, I guess another kind of tip on that is start niche. I think that's, yeah. I mean, there's just so much value to that. I guess, again, another quick story there, drawing on my own experience, Blue Mortgage, we're based in Toronto, we're a Canadian company, but actually our first ever customer years and years ago was actually a US-based client. And we were so excited. We said, oh, we're going to capture all of Canada, we're going to capture all of the US, and it's just this massive market. And very quickly, and we spent all this money on digital advertising, and we realized very quickly it was too much money. And we didn't do a good job on the U.S. clients. We just didn't know that market. We didn't know their integrations. We didn't know those things. And it ended up just being a waste. And when we shifted our mind to saying, hey, we're going to be niche. We want to be very targeted on what we know, which is the Canada market. It was a game changer, right? It was a flick of our switch. And our dollars just went that much further. It was crazy. And so anyone who asks, I always recommend the same thing. Yeah, niche, man. Riches and niches. or It doesn't sound good. Riches and niche, niches. It doesn't sound niche, as good as niche, riches yeah. and niches. But yeah, yeah, I think you're totally right right with the digital advertising. It absolutely is a valid business model. Lots of people have proven it and you do have to be aggressively following up and it's good to have a CRM, you know, whatever you're using, like you guys, I don't know if I can say this, but I know that you guys have helped Butler and them set theirs up. So like, you know, you understand high volume. The setup is different than for a broker who's all referral basic. My business partner, she's like, you know, she does not have to chase people chase her. She's like the prize in the way that's structured. But, and part of it is because she does have great follow-up too, but Yeah. And again, I think just to summarize kind of what you were just saying there, it's not for everybody, right? It is a different model. But if you want to go down that path, you do have to accept it is completely different in the process. And, you know, word to the wise, what we learned the hard way is that if you do go through that shift and you do pursue this, you know, start targeted, start your efforts there. And you can always expand from there, but your dollars will go by far the furthest if you can be very, very specific. Right. Yeah. Narrow the focus. Okay, man. Awesome to chat with you. And guys, if you're listening to this, go check out Blue Mortgage. 
they got a great platform for mortgage brokers to just stay in touch with your clients, like whether you're doing digital or referral based. So thanks, man. Thanks, Scott. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.